All right, welcome to Unsportsmanlike Conduct. We got a special edition tonight as we're previewing the NBA Finals between the Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Trevor Brew with you and our special guest tonight from SB Nation's Golden State of Mind. We have Andy Liu. Thank you so much for joining the show. Appreciate it. Appreciate you guys having me on. So, I, you know, if I if I had told you this a couple of years ago that we'd be prepping for the, the Warriors in the the finals in the NBA playoffs, what what would you have told me? What was that four years ago? Four, yeah, four or five years ago. Um, oh my goodness! Well, so where were we? We were in uh, early stages. Steph Curry, uh, Monte Ellis. Yeah, is just, I don't. Monte Ellis has just gotten traded. Oh, see that that's a, that's a great way to a great way to kind of kind of put it in uh, in perspective. That's yeah. That's that's probably one thing I probably would have said. Of course, you're crazy. Uh, second thing is how the hell did Joe Lacob pull this off? Uh, just in terms of that guy was the cockiest general manager, uh, pretty much coming into the league saying he, he was going to bring into the playoffs, was going to win now, was going to blah this, and blah, 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 that. And then, and then he pretty much traded uh, Monte away, which actually I agreed with. Um, at the time, I wasn't the biggest Monte fan. I know a lot of Warriors fans were. It's just in terms of he was fun to watch. Um, and then pretty much after that, I think he was, he, he's been pretty much doing everything correctly. Um, and I know a lot of fans like to bring back a lot of people actually like to bring back that him getting booed was wrong in hindsight now because of what he did. But I think essentially fans were just booing him at the time just because he was so cocky and sure of himself. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that it's different doing that when you're winning. Um, and it's a whole other story when you're doing that, when you're coming into a losing team and fans are pretty much sick of your stuff uh, at that point. So I think that that was more of a, a venting thing, and then of course, if you had told me that that the, the complete 180 they've done now, that's uh, uh, probably probably one of the most craziest things I've seen in, in basketball. Just in the short term, they've gone from you know, trash to what looks like uh, a dynasty. You look at you look at the past, you know, probably 20 years of just terrible decisions made, a lot of bad luck. Chris Cohen, probably one of the worst owners in the history of sports. And pretty much anything that could go wrong did go wrong for the Warriors. But then you look at the reversal of fortune over the last couple of years. And I think the big turning point for me is you got to look back to, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was the 2011 draft where they could have lost the seventh pick to, I think it was the Suns, or I'm forgetting the team they could have lost it to. But they went on a coin flip. They get the pick. They get Harrison Barnes. Then they draft Festus Azili late in the first round. And then they get um, Draymond Green early in the second round. Two starters on this team and one key big man all in one draft, which is almost unheard of when you look at NBA standards for what you normally get out of a typical draft. Yeah, I think that that the, what the Warriors did rowing this team from from the draft is pretty remarkable. I mean, uh, it, drafts usually work in that no matter how smart you as a franchise and as a scout and just a basketball mind are, um, there's really nothing you can do when guys just don't pan out. I mean, uh, even the greatest teams like the Spurs, they're not going to draft, you know, superstars every time. But what the Warriors have done is basically kind of find value, even in terms of not, not being able to hit superstar talents. Festus is not a superstar. Harrison Barnes, you can argue, is, is not going to be one ever. Um, but just hitting, just hitting those two guys and getting value from that area, it's huge. And I think that specific draft um, was honestly, was honestly, I feel like just really just luck. Um, hitting, getting Draymond Green that late was a, 
was, I mean, the Warriors themselves passed on him twice. Uh, I'm not sure if they're the only team that is, but the only team that did. But, uh, yeah, there's there's a certain level of luck involved. Uh, and the war, but you know that that's what you need if you if you want to build a team that's this good. Now you need luck and you need skill, and that's pretty much what what they've gotten. And as we we look through this pl- this playoff run, you know, there hasn't been too many moments where I mean, uh, the, I, I would say that the only moment where at any point I started doubting the Warriors whatsoever was when they went down two one in Memphis. But other than that, it's been pretty much smooth sailing. Has there been moments that stuck out to you throughout this playoff run where you really felt like you were seeing a team progress and a team evolve and, and mature to the next stage? Yeah, uh, yeah. I think somebody asked, somebody asked me that question the other day. Like, like, what was the moment that you thought the Warriors would win, win the championship? And I said, man, that's a good one. Uh, there's a couple to pick from, and I think the one the one where Steph hit the uh, hit the three in the corner is certainly that's one that's that's up there. Um, but I think for me, it was the one where in Game Four uh, in Memphis after the night that Steph Curry, you know, was forced to go out of his hotel room and kind of eat dinner with the guys, uh, turned into a huge story. Um, and then he came out in the first quarter, kind of struggled, you know, the same way he had two, two games previous. Then he went ahead and you know got a couple of jumpers, got a couple of buckets, and then at the end of the quarter, shot like a like a twenty-eight. 27, 28, 29-foot three-point shot right over Zach Randolph off the screen um, and nailed it. And then right when he turned around, he, he kind of he swung his elbow down and it, kind of in an exasperated tone, like, you know, pretty much with his shoulders slumped. And it was just like, finally, you know. It felt like something, it felt like something was lifted off. Uh, after two games of struggling against that kind of defense, he finally got on track, hit a three. And, and and from there on, he dominated that game. The next two games, and the Warriors pretty much was on their way, um, which which I think is the toughest team they'll play in the postseason, the Memphis Grizzlies. I think from that moment on, I felt like felt like not only did the Warriors grow, but, but kind of Steph Curry, they go as he goes, obviously. And and Steph Curry knew at that moment, like, you know, they stopped me for two games, but, you know, that's enough. <laughs> and that's so pretty much it. That, that moment, I agree with you, I think was a huge turning point for the Warriors in the playoffs. But one thing that... I don't know if it's been talked about as much, you know, look, looking back at it is the fact that they they changed up their strategy. They had Andrew Bogut guard Tony Allen, dared him to shoot from the outside and basically made Tony Allen useless. And then he got, he injured, I think he injured his calf and he was pretty much out for the rest of the series. But before that, he was frustrating Stephen Clay. Memphis's defense was getting to the Warriors. And so I'm wondering, as we start to preview this series that starts tomorrow between the Cavaliers and, and the Warriors, do you think that the Cavaliers have the defense that can do the same thing to the Warriors as Memphis did? Or do you think at this point the Warriors have just figured out how to play against anybody? I think yeah, that, that's a great one. I, I think, And the reason why I think Memphis is the opponent that the Warriors are going to struggle with the most is essentially because they have that Tony Allen. They have Mark, Mike Conley. And, and honestly, I feel like as, as great as Tony Allen is, it is my, a healthy Mike Conley would have brought that series even further. Um, he's one of the few guys in the league that can both keep up with Steph, Steph not only physically, uh, ball handling-wise, but just through screen as well. Chris Paul does the same, and I know Chris Paul has gotten, gotten marked up a couple times by Steph, but you know when you're watching a full game, Chris Paul really does the best job that anybody can do on, on Steph Curry, and it's pretty much chasing him through screens and, and grabbing him without getting uh, fouls called. So in terms of what the Cavaliers can do, they're going to start Kyrie 
on staff first, um, which is hilarious. And if you're a Warriors fan, you're ecstatic that that's happening. Um, but qu- quickly after that, they're going to go to Shumpert and they're going to double uh, with Thompson up top is what I think they're going to do, mainly because Thompson is, Tristan Thompson is quick enough and long enough uh, to get that double, unlike, you know, unlike a Zach Randolph. Um, but what Cleveland won't, won't have is the discipline rotations. Uh, they have a J.R. Smith who's pretty much you know, out, of his, out of his mind half the time he's on the court. Um, Amon Shumpert, who, who's, while he's an above-average defender, still isn't you know, the likes of w- what, um, what Memphis can bring. And, of course, Moskov is solid, but he's not a Marcus Gasol. So I think what, what Cleveland can do on defense might cause him problems, just in terms of you know, they gamble a lot and you know, they've got some guys that are long. But in terms of discipline and what Memphis brought to the table and physicality, uh, there's no way that Cleveland can match that. And we're talking about, you know, physicality. The, the Warriors went right, right back at Memphis, uh, which was fun. And, and uh, some people, you know, didn't think they were able to do that. So that was fun to see. You know, Timothy Mozgov has, has really helped the Cavs' defense since they tra- acquired him earlier in the season. He's had some success against Andrew Bogut in his career. Do you think Mozgov will make an impact in this series? Or the way that the Warriors are able to play small ball, do you think he's going to be pretty much rendered useless when it comes to, to helping yeah. the Cavs at all? Yeah, that's a great point. I've been really, I've been confused as to why Mozgov has success against Andrew Bogut. Uh, they're essentially the same player, just in terms of they're slow, or not slow, but like, you know, compared to average forwards and, and you know, even other athletic centers, they're, they're a little plotting, um, and, they, and they're really strong, but then, but Bogut is just a much better rim protector. I just, I don't really understand why he has trouble with Mozgov. And watching through the film, the only thing that I'm getting away from it is that um, Bogut is so concerned with rim protecting against LeBron, um, which is what they're going to have to do because the Warriors, I think, are just going to funnel, funnel LeBron either to the rim uh, or just let him shoot threes. So I think Bogut is so concerned with, with, with LeBron and that, and that it's harder for him to play against Moskov. Now, in terms of their, both of their impacts in this series, I think I don't even – I don't know if they're going to have much of a really a tangible kind of game swinging impact a couple years ago uh, we saw and even a year ago uh when the heat played the spurs uh what what the spurs were able to do is just go small and force the heat to play small and the, the heat did and, and as they went smaller and, and at times played lebron james at the five in 2013 and they won um you know the signature moment coming in that lebron blocking tiago splitter kind of that was pretty ridiculous um so I think in this series, some of the, some of that is going to happen, and I think it, that's Cleveland's best lineup, in my opinion, with LeBron playing the four. It's just that going small for the Warriors is their best lineup. So so that, that's one of the things where for the Warriors, what Cleveland does best is going small. The Warriors can do that and go big at the same time. They really don't care. Um, so that that's why I think the advantage is so large. The Warriors can just on on either end with either size and the and Cleveland just has to try so hard just to find a lineup that's moving it. And also it doesn't help Cleveland that they really don't run an offense uh, at all. Do you think, do you think Kyrie Irving is, is going to be able to contribute to this series with this knee hampering him? Or do you think at this point it's pretty much LeBron verse? Yeah. Um, LeBron verse. I think that's how it's going to be. That, that, that's how it's looked. Honest, and and we might talk about LeBron later. I think that's what you're saying, but I think LeBron likes it this way at this point in his career. I think he's always liked it this way. He he wanted to go to Miami because 
you know, he had to win a couple championships, you know, kind of get away from, from where he grew up. But after he won a couple championships and, you know, pretty much lifted that pressure off his back, this is what he likes, I think. He likes having an entire team carried on his back. He's used to it. He thrives on it. And knowing – and it, to me, it sets the pressure off of him at this point because there's no Kevin Love to space the floor. Kyrie Irving, they can run isolation plays all day long, and it will work to perfection if if Kyrie was healthy and Kevin Love was healthy. Um, that healthy team, honestly, you know, might beat the Warriors, uh, you know, in a good series. Who knows? But uh, this team right now, with what they've got, it's hard. And it's not even Kyrie on offense. And it looks like he's about 75% at this point. Uh, need tendonitis is, is awful. Um, and it doesn't go away unless you get you know, a long period of rest and rehab. Um, so at this point, it, it's him on defense. You can't play a 75% Kyrie Irving on defense. That, that's even worse than James Harden at his worst. You know, there's just, there's no, I'm not sure how long Blatt will be able to do that. Um, and so the worry comes in, 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 especially if he has to go up against Clay Thompson on the other end, which I think is what Kerr will do right away. Um, so it, it'll be, it might be a, a long series for Kyrie Irving. And as for LeBron James, um, I think personally all the pressure is off him because he's just, he's way undermanned at this point in the series. So do you think Clay Thompson will be an X factor for the Warriors in this series if Kyrie ends up having to be the guy that guards him? Um, I think, yeah, I'm not that that's another question that I had with the Cavs that I've really haven't had any insight on. Nobody's really answered it. I think I if they put Kyrie Irving off Steph, I don't think they're gonna put him on Clay. Um, mainly because he's gonna be too hampered to just chase him around screens. Um, I think they're going to put him on Harrison Barnes, which is the obvious answer. But but can't you know if they Harrison put if they put Kyrie on Harrison, can't he just post him up and just back him down on every single play, kind of exactly. like the way Harrison took over the Rocket series? Exactly, and, and and if you're the Cavs, you're living with that. I think it kind of just it's kind of what the Spurs did right a couple years ago with Tony Parker. Essentially, Pop said, "Hey, just go ahead and score." And Harrison did score, but he scored in volume shooting. Um, so let's say he, he gets like 18, 20 points, but he got him on 16, 15 shots. Um, and that's pretty much what you want if you're a, um, if you're a Cavs fan. If you're, if you're David Blatt, you want you know, Harrison Barnes to pound the rock like four times and, and kind of waste the entire possession with zero movement. And Steph is the type of player that that'll pass the ball to him because of the mismatch or because he's open. Um, he's not going to, to force the ball um, to where it shouldn't be, you know, himself shooting you know, or anything else. He'll give the ball to Barnes, man. And that might might be playing into the Cavs' hands, but, you know, we'll see. Harrison has gotten, of course, a much better fluid offensive game since his uh, freshman and sophomore year. Um, but, you know, if you're the Cavs, you're living with that every single day. Do you think that there's anything the Cavs can do to win the series? You know, if, if you're the Cavs, what what needs to happen? What strategy are, are you really sticking to, to to try and win this thing? <laughs> That's the... Uh... I searched for a week for this question to just kind of see how the Cavs can do it. I think the the blueprint that I have for them winning seven game or four out of seven is they have to win tomorrow night. Um, tomorrow night is pretty much the perfect time for LeBron James to, to do what he does. It's game one. The Warriors are at home in the NBA Finals. None of their players have ever played in the Finals. I don't really think that matters. But in game one, I do think they'll come out a little tight. Right. Yeah, I, I could see I could see how the Cavs could potentially steal game one, but for me, I find it hard to believe that the Warriors, even if they lose one at home, don't win one in Cleveland, 
Yeah. And in that case, yeah. I see it being similar to a Memphis series. So that's that's for me the thing is even if the Cavs can, I, I think the Cavs have to steal two on the road to realistically win this series. I and all and you know keeping it on on that kind of kind of verbiage, they really have to steal like four because <laughs> I, I don't I don't I just you know obviously I could be wrong. I just don't see really a strategic way they can win other than LeBron kind of taking over every single game and just raining threes, uh, getting to the rim. Here's here's what I think. Here's what I think Cleveland can do is to win games. Um, LeBron is going to have to get in rhythm early, kind of like what he does, you know, in the great games that he has. Specifically, you know, what against Boston a couple years ago, elimination game, he's, he starts hitting the step back mid-range jumpers that nobody in NBA history can guard. Once he starts getting those going, um, he'll start hitting threes, he'll start getting to the rim. And with the Warriors, with how they switch so much, all the yeah. has to do is run a high pick and roll, get Draymond on him in the beginning of the game, and LeBron gets two quick fouls on Draymond, take Draymond out of the game, uh, you know, kind of mess with the Warriors' uh, ball movement on offense and their defensive rotations on that end. So if, if they can get that going and LeBron can get hot, and, you know, of course you get a J.R. Smith game, obviously, you know, you get some timely Tristan Thompson offensive rebounds, you know, that's where I can see the Cle- I can the see thing, Cleveland winning two. The thing about yeah. that is I completely get how that could happen for a game, but I kind of feel like it's the same thing as James Harden. When you have one guy who you're so dependent on, to win you a game, and you have so many defenders for the Warriors that can all switch, whether it's Iguodala, whether it's Harrison Barnes, Draymond Green, Sean Livingston, that can all team up and take care of this one superstar. You know, you might have a game like I think Harden had in, in Game 4 where he went off, but it's just, in, in my opinion, even if you're a LeBron James, the best basketball player in the world, it's very unlikely that you could keep that up enough to win four games for your team. Right. That's all yeah. you're depending on. Exactly, and that's that's why, and that that's pretty much the main point. It's everybody's argument for the Cavs is look, they have LeBron James, but we've seen that argument get laid to waste against uh, the Spurs. Uh, you know, the Mavericks series was weird. Um, you know, they should have yeah. won. It was an odd series, um, but we've seen it happen. The Spurs twice actually. So uh, it's pretty much the argument goes: you have LeBron James, you have a chance, and you should win. And the first the first two things are correct. You know, you have LeBron, you do have a chance, but at a certain point, he's really carrying the team way too much. And, and I think the James Harden thing makes sense just, just in terms of he's one guy. Um, but I think LeBron is a smarter and better player. And what the Warriors will be doing against him will, will be a little different, I think. Dude. They'll sag way off on the pick and rolls and kind of just allow allow LeBron to uh, to shoot that shot. And Yeah, that's, um, that's another thing I was going to ask you is, you know, LeBron has had a great stretch through these last few playoff series but i think he's also shooting something like 17 percent from the three-point line like one of the worst percentages in his career so do you see the warriors just daring him to take that shot and just clogging up the middle right I, yeah I, I mean i think they'll dare him not maybe not to the extent the spurs did a couple years ago uh, you know they, they uh two years ago uh when the heat won the championship the spurs ran this defense which was pretty pretty disrespectful uh and it almost worked uh to the point where they just let lebron shoot 18 footers um, they let LeBron shoot, shoot 20 footers, and, and it almost worked oddly enough. And then get game seven, LeBron pretty much said, Hey, screw this. I'm going to take him. I'm going to make him. And he did, um, hitting that, that game winning jumper in game seven. Um, but I think the Warriors will try something like that. I don't think they'll be as crazy as to kind of uh, let him shoot it, like the way Pop does it. Um, I think he'll certainly regress to the mean. He's not going to shoot 17% from, from three again. Uh, but also on that point, I don't think 
Draymond Green, who's actually shooting like 27, 28% from three. Uh, I have to assume he's going to shoot better at least. Yeah. Um, so that'll be that'll be interesting to watch. The thing is, I, I don't get me wrong. I have a ton of respect for LeBron. Steph might have won MVP this year. It was a great year for him, but we all know who the best player in the world is. It's really hard to debate that. But when you have so many people that can defend one player and there's so much weight on his shoulders, I just don't see him not tiring. And when you get tired in basketball, your legs go. When your legs go, your shot goes just like that. So that's that's what's hard for me to just envision a scenario where LeBron doesn't tire out, especially you look at what was going on. last. He's been exhausted the last few series. Yeah, and, and actually that, that's a great point. I, and I forgot to bring this up earlier. Yeah, LeBron's not – He's not the same high-efficient player that he was the past couple of years in Miami and even before in Cleveland. He's and to be honest, he's really not as good anymore as he was. He's still, which is crazy. You know, he's he's not as good as he was yet. He's still the best in the world, and everyone can unanimously agree with that. But you're looking at his, you know, hyper, just a ridiculous usage rate. Um, I think probably one of the one of the highest ever. Um, and he's just having to do everything, and that's bringing down. That's that's up in his turnovers. That that's you know his field goal percentage is coming down. Maybe just just because he has to do so much, and 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 you can look at all the stats, but you know logic pretty much says right. The stats kind of coincide with the fact that he's having to do way too much, and the narrative just works out in that manner uh, where he's carrying his team. But I think most people are just saying that because he's more likable now that he's in Cleveland, because um, he was way better than this in Miami uh, in all four years. Uh, and it also points to the fact that where I always get a little annoyed. I love LeBron, but I always get a little annoyed at Coach LeBron, who doesn't want to play in the uh, run the offense in the post. Um, and he's doing a little a little more now, but uh, he's also running way more isolation. So he's less LeBron now, and he's more Kobe Bryant, which is a uh, which is a funny turnaround in his career. Do you think you know? There's there's been talk about LeBron's legacy. You know, if he drops this uh, this finals, he'll be he'll be two and four in finals. And I really mm. am not a fan of the talk. This should hurt LeBron's legacy if he hasn't this poor of a record in the finals, just because you look at a lot of other players that, you know, they win. I, I know where Jordan was 6-0, and so he sets a hard precedent. But lots of other players, you know, make the finals a couple times in their career, might have won both times, but also bow out in the conference finals or, you know, before that many times in the playoffs. And LeBron's on his fifth straight finals appearance. So despite him losing some of these 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 finals, matchups i i really have a hard time critiquing him just for having a, a poor record in the finals yeah abs- i absolutely agree with that it, but but it's also interesting i think that um that lebron and we can go through the the finals each one i think lebron is smart enough uh he he lost the first time in the finals which was fine he was playing at his first they, they probably should lost- have even been in that those finals right right yeah essentially and he was, he was there because of him <laughs> And I think he's smart enough that just just that he stays in the East. Um, and I know that that's something that people don't really want to say. And of course, yeah, if, it's, if it's LeBron, and it, anywhere he goes in the West, he, they're going to be the favorite, right? But it's just that much easier in the Eastern Conference. I mean, do we really think the Cavaliers of this year get out of the East, Western Conference? As injury riddled as the West is this the West is this season, I still don't see a way those Cavs come out. Not 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 against Memphis certainly, and, and so. And I know the Clippers and Spurs in the first round, for that matter. So, um, but I, but I think you're right. I think his legacy shouldn't be um, tarnished in any way. It's just that I think he's smart enough to come back to Cleveland 
uh, and kind of alleviate that pressure. Because if he had stayed in Miami, and I think he would have if they had won the finals last season. And, and let's be fair, the Heat probably should have been up 2-0 in the finals. Um after the you know the air conditioning game, but it can, it can game. go both ways though because they probably should have lost a year before. So I I look at those two fair, I fair. look at those two finals as a split. You know somehow either way they each should have gotten one. I think the the but, year that he probably should have won that the only one where I really think that was on him and on his team was the year they lost to the Mavericks. If they yeah. get if they get yeah. that year, the only times he would have lost in the finals is once to the Spurs or twice to the Spurs and once is when he was in Cleveland when he had no help at all. So I, I think that's the one year where you know, maybe there's some question marks, but Right. Yeah. Overall, much, what, yeah, are, you what could... are you gonna punish a guy just because he always makes it to the finals rather than losing the conference finals so that he doesn't go towards his record? That's that's a great that that's pretty much a great point. And again, that's the Eastern Conference. If LeBron was in the West, we we wouldn't even be arguing about a six finals appearance because it wouldn't happen. <laughs> he wouldn't be there six times. But hey, you can't argue, you can't argue with just the way he can carry a team. I mean, the Cleveland Cavaliers were awful. Um, you know, right right after he came, you know, and right before he decided to return. So so I I think two and four, you know, is not great, but you can certainly explain away three of them. And and we're you know hypothetically speaking that the Warriors are going to beat them again. And uh, to be fair, the Warriors, you know, they're historically great team. You know, even higher than the likes of the Spurs. Um, so that's well, and that's and that's scouted part. Of, you know, of the of the. Of the so looking oh, yeah. looking at the Warriors, I I wrote an article a couple weeks ago saying that I thought the Warriors needed to win this year. That it you know it wasn't just okay. Let's you know we've had a great year. If if we bow out in the conference finals or in the in the in the finals, you know it's a great step towards next year. Because let's let's look at what's happened in the past and why you can't take anything for granted in the NBA. I mean, look at the 2012 Thunder. They had Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, who were both 23, I'm pretty sure, and James Harden was 22. You have Serge Ibaka. They sh- it looks like a team that could win seven to eight championships over a 10- or an 11-year period. Imagine if I told you when that finals ended that they wouldn't have been back since. Yeah, see, that's that's the thing I think a lot of— I, I saw some some pieces being written midseason about how the Warriors you know, could be the next dynasty. I think— while everything has has certainly come together for the Warriors, you just never know how quickly as quickly as you know the Warriors have gotten this good, they can fall apart. You know, just as quick. I think, you know, highlighting the worst possible scenario of what could happen, and I, you know, I was hearing some stuff preseason. Um, it's pretty much if the Warriors don't, let's say they don't win the finals. You know, there's um, there's a falling out of some sort between Draymond Green and the Warriors, and and they don't sign him. I think Steph Curry leaves. Now that's highly, highly unlikely at this point, right? Before the season, there was a chance chance that uh, Steph Curry might leave, um, just in terms of they might not be that good, they might not be that championship team. But now, you know, everything has changed, and they're yeah. going to resign their Green. Even um, you know, even even if that's the the extreme, just look at even just the Thunder's injuries. You know, that forgetting about the fact that they trade James Harden, just the terrible luck they've had the last three years with in in three consecutive years. Uh, Durant, or sorry, Westbrook, Ibaka, and Durant all going down with with season-ending injuries, and it, it's not just the Thunder. You know, the the Clippers ha- have struggled to get over the top. You look at this. You look at the Sacramento Kings from the early two thousands, the Phoenix Suns from the mid two thousands. You know, all teams that should have won a championship that never got it done. 
And every year that you don't win, there's just more pressure. There's more expectations. The Warriors didn't really have that many expectations going into this year besides, you know, hopefully getting out of the first round. And I think you lose in this finals, as great a year as it's been, next year gets very, very high strung. Yeah, I just think in terms of how they've done it, how they've won this season is kind of is kind of what what will differentiate them between between them and kind of the the thunder. Um, of course, they're going to feel a lot of pressure if they lose, but I think their winning is more sustainable, uh, just in terms of their uh, their health. Um, it's it's some you know a lot of people like to say it's luck and whatnot, but I think in terms of the Warriors, they really they allocate a lot of their resources towards that end. Uh, Steph Curry really played a career low thirty three minutes and ran a lot less. Uh, miles, I think, according to SportsVu, uh, than last season, uh, and, sa- and same with uh, Clay Thompson as well. So uh, that that health aspect, and in terms of the Thunder, they really had a, a collateral—not uh, a collateral, but a but a an, an effect that that, that kind of caused from the uh, from the James Harden uh, trade. And the Warriors won't be experiencing that mainly because of the salary cap. Um, they're going to be able to sign pretty much everybody they want. Um, in terms of Draymond Green, Harrison Barnes is going to get a contract. I think he's going to get around four years, about fifty million. And Festus is going to get something around, I would assume, around four years, forty million. So that those are contract wow, numbers. Wow, for Azili, that much? I would throw those numbers out there. And honestly, honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if it was more, considering the salary cap is going around. I don't even know what the number is at this point. Ninety million, I think. Ninety, maybe more than that. Um, and yeah, I think they'll have the money to spend and they don't need to spend it for someone uh, that's kind of taken over for Andrew Bogut um, unless right. they find somebody else. So that's, that's going to be interesting. And they'll, and they'll of course have the room to sign in uh, uh, Kevin Durant. Yeah, I think is what people want, but for that to happen, you know, they'll have to, they'll have to, you know, not sign Barnes and Azili, but that's way far down the road. <laughs> Certainly we can talk about that another time when, when that Definitely. time comes. Well, Andy, I really appreciate you coming on. I got two kind of tied together last questions for you a little off topic but still about regarding the Warriors and Cavs as far as coaching goes you know Darren Darren Ehrman who was he was on the Warriors staff last year and had that kind of crazy uh firing where he was supposedly recording Mark Jackson's uh <laughs> Mark Jackson's I, I don't know what was going on in the locker room but he just got hired by the Pelicans to head up their defense do you think Mark Jackson will ever get another head coaching job in this league I think I think if Vinny Del Negro is interviewing for coaching jobs, I certainly think Mark Jackson is a guy that's uh that can uh at least get interviews. I, I think right now, uh for him it's just kind of a sort of two things. He wants to kind of take the year off and also teams are kinda of hesitant to to pick up on that right now. Um I don't have any, you know, I don't have any sources on the matter or anything. But, but I think he will be back in coaching uh, soon enough. He says he's not worried about it. You know, he's the type of guy that says a lot of things. But honestly, you know, half the, more than half the things that come out of his mouth is, is pretty, you know, you, know, you just – I take it with a grain of salt. I take it with a grain of salt after covering him last year. Um, anything he says, you kind of just shrug it off because that guy, he's really – I perhaps I probably shouldn't say it. He's just – I don't know. He's just a weird – he can't be – he really he can't be trusted, I, I think I would say. Um, he's got his own motives. Um, there's a reason why Steph Curry doesn't like him anymore um, when, when he certainly one of, was one of his biggest supporters uh, last season. Interesting. Well, on that note, the last question, as far as the Cavs coach goes, David Blatt, you know, obviously for a rookie coach, this would seem like a tremendous year, but it seemed like quite a few times where LeBron just showed 
absolutely no respect for his coach didn't even see him as the head coach do you think David Blatt is next year is back next year if the Cavs don't win a championship I mean he wasn't when when LeBron what signed with the Cavs they had already hired David Blatt as, as coach this was not something LeBron got any input on I think I'm hoping I think Warriors fans should be hoping that the Cavs fire David Blatt because if you if you if you remember the Warriors wanted David Blatt as their first choice as the offensive uh, coordinator, um, well a football I think, an- analogy, but right they wanted David Blatt first. This is this offense the Cavs are running this high pick and roll isolation you know post up offense that the Cavs are running is not what David Blatt runs. David Blatt runs an intricate motion you know offside cutting uh, dribble weave offense. If that sounds familiar, that's essentially what the Warriors run. Uh, and David Blatt loves doing that's what he did for Cisco Moscow uh, over where he coached so if if that happens then that's perfect for the Warriors they'll, they'll look to sign him but I honestly I, I don't I don't see a reason why they would fire him um, just LeBron is is will not tell management to fire him I think is what I'm trying to get at here um, LeBron is the type of guy where I don't I don't know if if, if you guys have heard he's he in the uh, he never tells management what to do, but he'll give hints. Um, he'll never respond to text when, when management, Pat Riley, I think, asked him, like, hey, do you want us to draft, like, Shabazz Napier, right? Like, kind of things like that. LeBron will never say it to anyone, but he'll tweet that he loves Shabazz Napier. And, you know, there's a, there's a reason why that he drafted Shabazz Napier, um, just to try to get LeBron on their side. Now, that didn't work, but there's a reason why the Cavs fired Mike Brown. Uh, they the Cavs called LeBron James just to see, hey, do you want Le- Mike Brown as the coach? Do you want this? Do you want that? LeBron didn't answer. He was on vacation. He fell off the map, and the Cavs didn't want to wait anymore. And they said, look, we're, you know, we don't have. We take this as meaning kinda, we don't have LeBron. Kind of hurt his boy Dwayne Wade with that contract situation by these antics, right? And now we have the Dwayne. Now we have this ugly Dwayne Wade divorce that's about to go down, which is uh, which is pretty funny because. You know, Pat Riley keeps talking about family, and that's uh, that's certainly not what's happening <laughs> at this point for Miami. So, yeah. you know. Uh, well, last question before we get out of here. Prediction. How many games, what team's taking home the Larry O'Brien championship this year? Golden State Warriors in five, I think. Um, I think I'm in the minority with that one. I think most people will see Golden State in six, I think, uh, mainly because of, you know, respect to LeBron. But with respect to LeBron, I think there's only so much he can do, and he's not the same player anymore. And, uh, Basically, what I said about the adjustments, the Warriors, they can go big, they can go small. The Warriors, they're the Cavs, can't really beat the Warriors going big or small. So I don't see any way the Cavs could win more than, you know, two games unless LeBron kind of just becomes a peaker LeBron. Yeah, I don't even know if that's possible. But, hey, if there's one person, honestly, that can make that possible, it is LeBron James. So (laughs) unless Michael Jordan is coming back, you know, unless he's 28 again. um, So (laughs) yeah, that will be fun to watch. So... Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Where can where can the listeners follow you? Twitter, Facebook, what's what's the handles? Uh, Twitter, you can they can certainly follow me at uh, Andy K H L I U. Um, you know, for every Warrior stuff, I'll be in the I'll be in the locker room with the rest of the media uh, throughout the home games. But uh, I don't, I'm not sure really how much stuff I can get. There's apparently 1,800 media members. Wow. So that's going to be. And you know, a lot of them are completely undeserving of those credentials. <laughs> and you know, um, maybe I might be undeserving. But <laughs> no, come on. At least, quest- at least you're knowledgeable. You get the Super Bowl media days. They start asking them the most ridiculous questions. Oh, oh yeah. 
yeah, there we're getting those. We've gotten some of those already, and we are going to get them, uh, you know, tomorrow night. And I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be sitting in there. I usually don't ask questions because people actually have deadlines to reach and stuff to do. Um, yeah, so but tomorrow will be, yeah, it'll be rough, uh, but fun. <laughs> I can't complain. All right, well, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. We'd love to have you on again in the future, and, and uh, good luck with the, the uh, media craziness tomorrow night. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Trevor. Appreciate it.